Well, hello, everyone. This is Tommy, World at War Comics. I am the creator and writer of Kingsville, which currently has a Kickstarter. So head over to Kickstarter, just type into the search Kingsville, and we would love your support. All right, we have another amazing guest for you. But before we get into that, let me tell you about the brands that are supporting this channel. Um, first, I need you to subscribe and hit that ring bell before we get into that. Please, it helps out the channel. All right, our first brand is Cien Chili's, C-I-E-N-C-H-I-L-E-S.com. Cien Chili's, the best hot sauce you could buy. Go to cienchilis.com right now. If you love hot sauce, you're going to love this. Check them out. If you use comics in checkout, you'll save 15% off your entire order. Um, so check them out. Secondly, Comic Crusaders, the best in comic book reviews, movie, uh, music reviews, and there's even a podcast that they have that they have some of the best in the industry on. So check them out, comiccrusaders.com. All right, without further review, um, we have Josiah Goliou. Um, he is the writer and creator of Young Zombie that currently has a Kickstarter. You can look in the description of this um, podcast and you will see the link. Go there and support them. I think they got about nine days left, but this is an awesome comic book. I've already got um, a look at it and I think you're going to love it. It's fun. It's a, a horror a slash thriller. Um, you're just going to enjoy it. But without further ado, let's have Josiah tell us more about it. Thanks, everybody. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the World at War Comics podcast. My next special guest is Mr. Josiah Goliou. Josiah, it is a pleasure to meet you. Can't wait to talk about your new comic and everything that led up to that, if that's all right. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's awesome. So before we get into the, um, your current comic book and some of the stuff that you're working on in the near future, I would love to just learn a little bit more about you. Like, did you grow up around comics? Are you a little bit newer to comics? I see Star Wars pictures, so I, I have a feeling <laughs> yeah. that you've been doing this for a little bit. Well, you it's funny you say that. So I did grow up with comics, and yeah. uh, this is this is our office. So it's like you see comics, it's like the the the, the smashing together of like my world and my kids, like their toys. Yeah. And then and <laughs> then happens, the collector, right? you know, you have the collectibles behind you, but the collectibles are outside that wall to my left here. That's our garage where the collectible stuff is. So it's oh, like sweet. kind of like, you know, and it's like little vault area there. Yeah. Uh, but there's certain things that kids can't play with. But that's all to say the yeah. Star Wars poster you see there is my uh -huh. original Star Wars poster from when I was no a kid. Way. So the other stuff is like stuff that's been acquired over the years. You see an animation cell for Ewoks, yeah. uh, the Star Tours ride poster this is from star wars in concert um oh. a few years back that was a fun one anthony daniels hosted at the time that was a really cool thing to go to super fun cool. um and i remember my i don't know if my wife and i were married yet then but she got sick and I, she couldn't go so i got to go with a friend of mine josh who i grew up with he was a childhood oh. friend nice. and i wasn't even intending to bring him up but it's perfect because when we were kids he and I were the, like, we grew up in Pennsylvania together. I'm from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Now I live in Southern California. Yeah. And Josh was the only other kid that was into comics. No other kids were in the comics. This is the early 90s. Comics were, like, this is right before that explosion, right? And then they got really popular. But uh, in the very early 90s, when it was starting to get popular, and yeah. I sort of latched on. And I think first through trading cards. Yeah, yeah. There was a gas station down over the hill. So I lived in the woods. And... <laughs> You could walk down across the tra railroad tracks, across the bridge, and there was a little gas station there that had like baseball cards, you know, cigarettes, bubblegum, candy, yeah. <laughs> what we call pop in Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, for whatever reason, DC Universe Tradings cards yeah, and wow. Series 1, if you know what those ones look like. So I started collecting DC Series 1, yeah. and then that was like... That wasn't necessarily the first thing, but that was kind of the gateway to the explosion of getting sure. in the comics. Yeah, And I remember... But specifically, there's a Jim Lee cover for G.I. Joe comic. I was a big G.I. Joe fan, as most of us kids born around that time were. And my aunt Marlene, which is a very like Western Pennsylvania name, uh, <laughs> she bought me for my birthday a G.I. Joe, which is the G.I. Joe Salvo, if you're familiar with the character. Yes, I love and you. then the you know, big rocket launcher guy. Yeah. Uh, and then a comic book. And that comic, it's a Jim Lee cover that I can't, I can't remember the issue number, but it features like Storm Shadow, Snake Eyes, and I think Jinx, the, the yeah, girl yeah, ninja, on the cover, like jumping out of a helicopter. Yeah, great, great issue. I can see yeah. the cover of my mind. Yeah, <laughs> and so that was like the first comic that i remember i'm sure there was others that came and went because i was already a big fan of spider-man because just you know 
the oh, Spidey and his amazing friends cartoons went like yeah. through most of my childhood in the eighties, how they just reran that thing forever. For sure. And, but that was the comic that was like, that showed me what comics were as a medium, because yeah. that was the one where it wasn't just like superheroes. And I love superheroes probably more than any other comic, but it was, it was dark and it was real in a way that the cartoon wasn't. Yeah, and that yeah. really, really captured me at the time, and just then just grabbed me. And then, like I said, with the DC trading cards, and then it started the explosion of finding my local comic shop, which was at the time in the Highlands Mall, which is now a Walmart. So unfortunately, but <laughs> I think I a lot back of there. malls are now a Walmart. <laughs> yeah, it was it was one of those little like half malls, anyways. It was barely yeah. a mall. Even then, even in the early '90s, it was like a halfway, mostly a dead mall. Like yeah. a pizza shop, a Walden's, and the comic book store. Yeah. So I go to the pizza shop to play Pac Man. I go to the Walden's yeah. for books and then I go to the comic book store for the rest of the time so yeah. uh, and uh but that was how my that's my my origin as a comics fan and I guess a comics creator all these years later yeah that's so cool man and then it looks like uh, Star Wars has had a, a huge impact on your life um can you talk a little bit more about how you got into Star Wars just because yes. I see it all over your wall <laughs> no yeah there's a lot of Star Wars there's the giant yeah. Luke Skywalker of he in frame just barely there yeah so this oh, is it's, cool, man. it's just in uh so Star Wars, and it's funny, I tell my wife, like, if I were to sell, you know, I cycle through things in my collection that I sell. Sometimes I sell some of the more modern stuff, but yeah. there's the vintage stuff, certain things that I just wouldn't let go of. And the top of that list is Star Wars, you yeah. know, the Star Wars stuff, those collectibles. Yeah. And which, you know, relates to the comic book that I made because they, in the comic, they use Star Wars collectibles oh, to fight off a zombie, yeah. but. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you can see the, the like terror in the the owner of those toys going, what are you doing, man? That's not, yeah, that's the character that I can relate to. Not that yeah, yeah. I use it as a weapon. Like that, I'll say that when you, whenever, yeah. if you ever look at the comic and the, hopefully people will pick it up after this, but I hope so, um, yeah. the, uh, yeah, the guy it's used as a weapon to fight a zombie, a B wing yeah. fighter specifically. Yeah. And, and that, uh, specific toy I've had since I was a kid oh, and cool. I love that toy. So I don't even remember star Wars is one of those things that, I don't remember even first experiencing it because it's, I, I was born in 1982. So it already, it, it was around longer than me. There's a famous family story that when I was a baby, you know, star Wars was the big movie. My oldest brother is like eight years older than me. So he was like the perfect age to experience all of that. Right. Like he was like perfect for him. Yeah. And a lot of the things that I love, it trickled down from him, like Spider-Man, all that stuff. It's because of him, GI Joe, even those things that I love. It was because he loved it first. Yeah, yeah. And my other two brothers were the kind that like, they were kind of into it, but they kind of moved on with life. I didn't <laughs> even my oldest brother kind of moved on with life. I didn't, but yeah. he was more attached to it later on. Like he would still, you know, like he would still be interested in seeing the movies and all those things where my brothers would be like, I don't care anymore, whatever yeah. the other two brothers. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the, the story being that because, you know, return of the Jedi is coming out the last of the star Wars movies this is the big deal. We all have to go see it. The whole family has to go even now one-year-old baby Josiah. <laughs> so Apparently, according to family legend, my yeah. diaper leaked during the screening and my brother was all angry because they had to, you know, take the baby out. And I don't know, like, I'd have to get clarity on him if they had to, like, leave the theater or what. But yeah. that was like, and he's reminded me this my whole life. So that is something that's that stuck with me. How the true it is, I can't speak. Return of the you know, no, exactly. You need to get my uh, my oldest brother, Jason, on here to ask him, like, okay, <laughs> what's the real story? Or have yeah. you just been tormenting your brother for the last 40 years? years of his life um but that was like sort of you know just how entrenched star wars was in yeah. the story of our family and things and sure. there's also another famous story where my brother had a like every star wars toy yeah. and that apparently when i was a little tiny kid my cousin and i who was the same age as me went in and broke mo most of them <laughs> when he didn't want us to be allowed to play with them but my mom insisted no that they're it's just toys play with it yeah. and they were all broken so that's another thing he's like held a grudge against me and yeah. trust me that was one where very quickly that i like would regret because yeah. now as a collector i'm like well i wish i had all that stuff yeah, so sure. but just the, just all that to say is like star wars is just entrenched in our back background and the films just had a huge impact on me i remember you know i had the like a lot of kids at the time recorded off the television with the commercial breaks and all that stuff that i would watch and i'd wear out the tape i, I remember specifically the version of return of the jedi because it wasn't until years later that i knew that there was a stormtrooper that attacked leia after she meets uh wicket 
I didn't know that because in the TV version, they edited that part out that just for, for time reasons. So basically in that version, the version I watched for most of my childhood, she, she crashes and then he finds her and she's like, what was that? And she's like, let's go. And then it just, they just go. I'm like, wait, so that's, that felt weird. Yeah. And I learned, you know, later on when I finally got it on video, which was when they did the, uh, not the like special editions, but the THX edition that came before that, the one that yeah. had like the faces on the cover. That was when I finally realized like, oh, there was a scene cut out. <laughs> but uh, those movies, like I just, yeah. if I watched anything over and over again, it was those two. And it was especially Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, because for some reason we didn't have Star Wars recorded. And I had seen <laughs> it, but it was like that hazy yeah. memory. But, you know, it was just, yeah. I feel like it was one of those things where it was like, they used to run them in the in the 80s and early 90s where they would run them like, back to back or consecutive nights and things like that so we probably just my mom probably just didn't record it for me and it was probably past my bedtime so I couldn't do it myself at the time so but it was just the the that film that really grabbed me and in both and just the character dynamics the adventure the 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 reality the gravity of it the the fun the the special effects everything just captivated me and I you know I, I was fascinated with special effects I would watch the special effects documentaries over and over and over, which is great now on YouTube. So I can yeah, just yeah. find all these things that were not easy to find when you were a yeah. kid in the you know late eighties, early nineties, uh, even it's even into the late nineties when the internet was a thing, it was still like, you didn't have access. You had, you could get online to talk about it, but yeah, yeah. you couldn't find it because the, the bandwidth couldn't handle video. Yeah. Um. So it would just, that's kind of the, 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 the role that star Wars has played. And it also is really probably the thing that kind of directed me towards USC because I was fascinated with USC because George Lucas went to USC. So I just, you know, I had to go to USC because George Lucas went to USC. So that was what, you know, eventually took me to California too. So, yeah. That's awesome. And then what kind of impact has that had you? I mean, obviously you said George Lucas went to USC, you went there, you went into film, if I'm not mistaken, right? So kind of uh, not exactly. So I did oh, okay. and I love film, but I went to USC and I was not accepted into the film school. Uh -huh. And so my undergrad degree is in history. Gotcha. And so that, that was a, like a sore point for me as a, as a younger man that I didn't get into the film school, but I, I still loved USC at the time and was, you know, happy to have gone there. But I was a little bit of a regret that I never got into the film school. So I focused on my history degree. And um, which interesting enough, I I still made it about film. So I studied. <laughs> um, I started. I like. I I was writing what was if you if I was going to go to grad school for history. Yeah. I, I don't know what you call it, but I wrote the preliminary paper that would become like your dissertation, gotcha. and it was like my last project at undergrad. It's like kind of how they do it, at least with the the history program that SC had at the time. And so I I did all this research and wrote about Charlton Heston and his films mm. and the politics in his films. Yeah versus the politics of his life later because whatever wherever you stand on the political spectrum yeah. i don't i don't care about that personally but yeah. you if you look at his film they're very like soiling green and and um planet of the apes you would say these are probably left leaning in there if they have a political message especially soiling green and um the omega man these 70s films that are like you know overpopulation is a problem those <laughs> kind of things and then obviously the guy who then becomes the head of the nra yeah, so that yeah. <laughs> seems like in conflict but he's also the guy that yeah. in the 60s marched with martin luther king so yeah, exactly. you know it's i guess it shows you maybe our political ideologies are more complex sometimes than yeah, modern sure. discourse lets us have. But I was yeah. just really interested in that and you know, examining and then and then that's not even including like his biblical epics. Yeah. So that's what I studied in history. So even <laughs> in, when I was studying history, I was still studying film. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is fascinating. Now I need to read your dissertation. That sounds oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got to find I wish I, I probably still have it somewhere, but it was yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a a great resource. So one thing about Charlton Heston, he like published journals, too. So he has published journals that like were day by day. Some of it's just mundane stuff, but some of it's really interesting into insight into what he was thinking, especially when you're reading during the time of like making Ben-Hur and Ten Commandments and stuff. It's really cool to read. And then sometimes it's just like I played tennis with this guy. But it's yeah. um, and then beyond that, the stuff that's not published um, I had access to it. Anybody could get it, but I had access to it because one of my teachers was working on a book wow. related to like Hollywood and all these people. And his was much more expansive than mine was just focused on Charlton Heston, yeah. but he had access to the, a lot more of Heston's journals and stuff that were unpublished oh, Okay, that are on, um, 
archive at the Academy Museum in LA and anybody can go. You just have to like register a time. You can't take anything with you, but you can like yeah. transcribe anything or anything like that. So I, I had access to the cool thing was I did, I had access to everything without doing any of the work. So my professor, <laughs> because he was going to use it, had already done all the like, or probably he probably had somebody do it for him. I'm sure yeah. like a TA or something, but he had all that stuff documented. So I got to read through it. And it was just, again, fascinating, you know, when he would like consider a project, what he would think about or what he would, you know, while he was making it, what he was thinking and those kind of things. It was just a really cool insight, especially when you consider again, like just reflecting on him as a public personality and his political sort of yeah. persona. So, and especially at that time, right before that was when um, he was in the Bowling for Columbine documentary where Michael Moore, that famous moment where like, Michael Moore is like trying to confront him on like the deaths and he has the, and it's just this like weird moment where it's like almost surreal that, but that was my, my history degree was in still in film is the point there. Yeah. That's so cool. I think that's awesome. And, and especially to have that kind of an attitude, like obviously you were disappointed, but you made the best out of it and you still were able to probably learn a lot about film. No, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> I was still able to take film classes in undergrad and not, obviously there are certain things that were, off limits and uh, like classes I couldn't take because you could only be in the film school to take those. Yeah. But like I got to take the class on George Lucas at USC where George Lucas comes to the class. And yeah. that was like a highlight for me. And even just like attending a film school class at USC, like that was a bit of a dream achieved. Sure. And, you know, when I when I realized that, OK, I did that, like I didn't get a degree in film, but what what does that really matter yeah. in, in the long scope of things? But I the experience was great. And it was uh, such a cool like that class was really cool because um, the last day of the class, maybe not the last day, it was like around Thanksgiving time, I think. So it was slightly before the end of the semester where George Lucas came and he talked and just asked questions. It was like a Q&A with the class. And it's one of those things where that class was like, it started at like eight every like Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day it was. There'd be a lecture for an hour, something like that. And then we'd watch a movie related to George Lucas in some way, you know, and it was great because you're in a real theater at USC. So you're watching like real quality film prints, not like some film classes where, which I've had in other situations <laughs> where it's like, let's pop on this pan and scan VHS copy yeah, that yeah. you watch. This was like legit, like film projection. So one of the cool things that happened was we're watching the empire strikes back and it's, you know, my favorite Star Wars movie by far, Empire. And we're watching it and it's the, coming up on the, the last reel. And this is a room full of film school people. So they know it's the last reel. So the, the room is like pretty empty because it's late. And yeah. it's, you know, we're all still in school. <laughs> and uh, there, but once that last reel comes on, everybody kind of cheers because we know it's like leading up to the big reveal of Vader. Yeah. And then after a minute, you see something sounds a little bit off. It's not quite right. It's like the, the voices don't sound right. And we realize the last reel of the film was dubbed in French. What? So instead of Luke, I am your father or whatever, he was like, je suis ton père. He said in French, like in French, he said, I am your father. But it was great. It made it yeah, so yeah. fun because we everyone in that movie, in that theater rather, had seen that movie dozens of times so everyone knows what's happening yeah. so it like woke up the room in a weird way weird. Uh, and then one whenever that was referenced in the q a someone actually asked george lucas he's like we accidentally uh watched the dub in french what's your favorite language to watch uh star wars in he goes uh i don't know maybe hutties so that was george lucas's response to the question <laughs> about us accidentally watching it in french so they just i guess they mixed up the reels because the whole rest of the movie was in english up to that point yeah so. yeah that's wild man <laughs> that's so cool well then explain this ed saxon thing where you worked with him how did that so come? yeah so sort of segueing to my second stint at usc okay <laughs> so so basically what happened was i i got my undergrad degree in history yeah I went and worked for a year in Colorado with a home for troubled teens. So I did that for a year, left Los Angeles. Uh, and then after that year, like kind of like, you know, in between college and like whatever's going to happen with the rest of my life, I decided, you know, to figure out what to do. So I came back to LA and I was still not sure what to do. And so I was reading a lot of Hubert Selby Jr. And Hubert Selby Jr. is a great writer. If you would, if you haven't, if you don't know his work for his books, you would know him for um, Darren Aronofsky's last, uh, I'm sorry, Requiem for a Dream. Okay. So he's the writer of the book that he, I think he makes a cameo as a prison guard in the movie too. And he was like <laughs> a little old dude in there as like as a Georgia prison guard. But uh, I was reading a lot of Hubert Selby's work and it's really, really heavy, powerful stuff. Like that film is reflective of the tone of, of all of his writing. Yeah. And so 
there was also a documentary about him that I think it's called It'll Be Better Tomorrow. Hmm. And it talked about how he was this great writer that kind of was living in L.A. and basically borderline homeless. And someone at USC realized he was there and they hired him to write at the at USC. I'm sorry to write to teach writing at USC. And they're like, wait, you're this Hubert Selby. He's like, oh, yeah. And then he started teaching there. And so that's what made me think, Okay, I want to go to this writing program that Hubert Selby Jr. is a part of. Like, I want to go there. And unfortunately, like he died just the prior year. And I didn't I don't think I realized that at the time, but I still, you know, went to the school. But that was the draw that he was teaching there. And it's kind of a funny thing that, you know, obviously it's not about me that I missed him. But that was what drew me into going to SC for back to grad school to get my master's in screenwriting. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was because of, you know, the work of uh, Hubert Selby in that documentary specifically, which I think is it'll be better tomorrow. I think it's a great documentary, a great documentary about like writing and perseverance and all that so um definitely check it out but i might be getting the name wrong um so once i was in school that was you know just in school looking for internships and things and so i saw ed saxon productions needed an intern and so i you know sent in my little application and it was nice because uh like I had applied to a few things. Like I applied to Pixar and got rejected on the means that I can't draw, which was like my favorite rejection ever because it's, <laughs> it really seemed like um, I was, I would have got, I would have, they would have accepted me if I could draw. And they're like, we yeah. need, we're looking for people who also can, you know, illustrate. I'm like, well, I, okay. But it was like, it almost made, made me happy. I'm like, okay, yeah. you would have taken me then. Yeah. But, and a few things like Same that, like I, and I like I applied for an internship at Lucasfilm. I mean, these are funny because these are ones in the Bay Area, and I was obviously yeah. in LA. And uh, Lucasfilm didn't even reply to me, so I don't even know what was that. So that's why I appreciate the Pixar was. Uh, I, at least I got a rejection. Yeah. And um, so you know, I applied to a, a handful of different ones, and in in LA as well. And I got to meet with um, Ed's assistant, Justin Bell. And I just really like Justin and Justin's like a younger, not, you know, maybe a few years older than me. Um, he had just finished up at the, uh, there's at USC, there's a, like a producing program that um, Ed Saxon was a part of. Okay. And I believe he might be associated with it again now. And so Ed was a part of that, not at that time, mm-hmm. but like he went there in like the eighties. And then that's, you know, after that, he connected with Jonathan Demi to make like the the movies that we know Ed Saxon for. And then, um, sort of went off and did his own thing. And that's when uh, I encountered him in that, you know, at some point. And so Justin was one of his assistants along the way. And Justin, you know, is now a great successful producer of his own and done things with that as a producer. But Justin was just, you know, just like really a good guy that I liked and connected with. And then I was like, well, I don't, at that point I hadn't met Ed and he's like, well, if you want it, you can, you know, it's yours. And so then I got to meet and work with Ed and it was great because at the time, um, Ed had just, well, they were wrapping up a film called Away We Go by, um, gosh, the very successful director, won Oscar for um, uh, for American Beauty. Um, his name just is escaping me at the moment. Um, he went on to direct Skyfall, the Bond movie, uh, Sam Mendes, Sam Mendes. So oh, okay. it was one of his lesser known movies, uh, Away We Go. And it's just about like parenting and all that. And it was uh, David Eggers movie. So it had all these, you know, like, people that were like hot at the time, but it didn't, it wasn't a huge movie, but it was cool to come on to see the process of them wrapping that movie up. And then I, I, when I was there, I was basically a development intern. So I was just getting to read a lot of scripts and talk with that about story. And I would, you know, give my feedback and just like learn a lot by just talking to him. And it was a really cool experience. I would, I was really good at that and really bad at operating the phones. And I remember once Justin was away and Ed was like on vacation, he had a really important call coming and I had to connect it through, you know, I was in the office by myself. I had to connect it to him in like the Bahamas or whatever, you know, place where rich people go. And uh, I, of course, screwed the call up and dropped it. And then I finally got back to like Ed. He's like, it's okay. He was like mad, but not like, you know, like not holding against me, but like, you know, like frustrated mad. And like he was, you know, nice. But he's like, it's okay. They got a hold of me. I'm like, okay. I'll just I'll just get back to giving you notes on this script <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, but it was really cool I worked for him for about a year and yeah. um, just like learned so much at one point my the I got to uh, actually hold so those of you who haven't googled Ed Saxon Ed uh, produced Philadelphia uh, Silence of the Lambs etc you know he was basically Jonathan Demi's producer at that time and I got to hold the Oscar for Silence of the Lambs so that was pretty cool that so that was a highlight it was just it's just casually on his 
next to his television in his living room in, in like a paper um, like in something. Malibu I think he lived I forget <laughs> or Pacific Palisades it was Pacific Palisades like in that area of like LA um but it was just cool to like oh wow this is the Oscar for Silence of the Lambs but like one thing I was always fascinated I would always talk to him about Philadelphia that was my favorite movie of Jonathan Demme's and I thought it was just really interesting how I mean, it probably still holds up today because it's basically about how a, a character who's essentially a bigot against like he's he's not comfortable with Tom Hanks's character being gay, yeah. but yet he feels like there's a moral wrong for why he was fired. And it's yeah. like learning. It's like really a movie about like learning to live together despite maybe our differences. Yeah, and yeah. I thought that was really powerful. Um, there's especially that scene where I said, you know, the better act, I told and I said this to Ed, I said, you know, I think the better actor in that movie is Denzel Washington, not Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks is, is is a great actor. You know, we all know that at this point we knew it, you know, we were starting to learn it then I think, right. That was like maybe his first Oscar and then like Forrest Gump, like the next year. Yeah. But if you watch Tom Hanks in that, there's that scene where he's like playing the opera music and he's all dramatic and he's all like telling whatever story he's telling and it's all serious. But then you have, uh, Denzel Washington, who just has to like be the stoic one and yeah. respond to all that. That's the hard performance. That's the challenge. Like it's easier <laughs> to like chew the scenery in a good way, chew the scenery. Yeah. It's like a bad connotation, but, I and I would just talk to him about that, that scene. Like I, I had probably a dozen conversations where I'd bring up that scene and he probably like got sick of it, but it was a great experience working with Ed. And like I said, it was just cool to hold the Oscar. Cause that silence Land was also filmed in the Pittsburgh area. Oh. So one time, I had a substitute teacher who was like an extra in that movie. So that was like a highlight for me when I was a kid that I got to know the, so like, you know, like that was my getting inches closer to having a personal connection to the movie silence of the lamb. So <laughs> that's so cool, man. Well, did you do um, anything with film after that year or is that when you started getting in more into comics like writing? Um, So it kind of was a little bit of a, combination so like I, I, my my degree is uh, in creative writing and screenwriting specifically so mm -hmm. that was my focus at the time and you know I, I kind of kept that focus for a while wrote several screenplays and was on the periphery of the industry mo mostly working as a PA on different projects yeah and right out of grad school I got a job on a web project for a line of like a website for a line of dolls that was like supposed to be like the competition of Barbie okay. slash brats, you know, oh. brats were those big eye. Like now there's a lot more dolls that look like that, but at the time there weren't that many. All look like that now. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like now that style is, is everywhere. But at the time it was a little bit of a novelty yeah. and I wish I actually kept some of the dolls in retrospect, now having daughters all these years yeah. later, cause they would love those dolls and they were cool dolls. The ones that they were called the live friends. And uh -huh. I was hired as uh, I was hired as an assistant for, a guy named Blaine Grayboys and Blaine was like the executive producer on this big web project. So basically, you know, they're building out the web infrastructure to, so you buy this doll and then the doll gives you access to all the features on the website. Like you can, you know, do all kinds of stuff, you know, virtual closet, all these things that probably are more common now, but it was like newer than still, this is like yeah, around 2009, funny. 10. So, um, or 2008, nine, what 2009, 2009. Yeah. So right after my time with Ed and like right after I graduated. And so um, that I was hired as an assistant and I kind of worked my way up to become a producer on the project. I was producing the voiceover on that and also in French, ironically, which is kind of funny because, you know, I didn't even I never made that connection to yeah, seeing yeah. Star Wars in French, but I was producing the French. And, and although I did study French in high school and in college, I don't speak any French really like just I can say je ne parle pas français, which is, I think, a bad version of I don't speak French. And so I can just, you know, say enough and recognize enough words. And I have a sister-in-law who's from Gabon, Africa, and she, you know, her native language is French. So I'm like, oh, man, I wish I studied it more. Um, but point being is that uh, working on that project, I produced the voiceover. I produced um, the translation of the website into French because it was uh, – a, a, the company was the so we were I was hired by I was working for the web company was hired by the toy company Spin Master okay. and Spin Master um, was you know they wasn't our like out of Canada so they always want things in French and English because the Canadian audience is you know significant to them as well so we were doing the work in both languages basically and so I was helping to um, get the website translated where I work with um, 
one of the voice actresses we hired, we actually hired her to then translate everything into French on the website side. So I was doing that kind of stuff. And that actually was what got me into the Producers Guild. So that project was, uh, thanks to Blaine, I was able to get into the Producers Guild. So I'm a member of the Producers Guild. And the best thing about that is, though, you get the screeners, which has transitioned, though, now to being purely digital. Yeah. So it's like an app, like everything else, which it's, 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 it's a downside because I have stacks of screeners from previous years that are DVDs and Blu-rays. And then this oh, is wow. the first year where they're going completely digital. Yeah. So, which is just another way to save the studio's money. Plus you can't watch that movie later. Yeah. Um, although like everyone says, destroy this date, which is like after the Oscars, which is like the last date of award season. So, oh, okay. um, but yeah, so then that was how I got to the producers guild. And then with that, I started up at the time, a small company that was a film festival slash charitable comic book company. Okay. And that was, we, we, we had a space in an art gallery in downtown LA and we did events there. We did an event in Pittsburgh, my home city uh, in Oakmont PA, which is down the river from Pittsburgh, closer to my parents yeah. in a great theater called the Oaks, beautiful, great theater there. I love that place. Um, and then we did an event in Seattle and we did a big theater event downtown LA at the uh, downtown independent, which I think is now like owned by Alamo draft house. I think I th it used to be like independently owned, but now I think it's uh, part of them. I'm not, I haven't been there in a very long time, but it was uh, a really cool theater at yeah. the time. So I'm sure it's still pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, but I haven't been there since my event. And um so I was doing that in the comic book film festival kind of like related thing. And we would feature mostly short films that could then become comic books and things like that and graphic novels. But that was just kind of a financial struggle to keep it afloat. So then years later, that was kind of died off and which is actually that company is the origin of the comic book that I'm releasing now because the, the concept was first come up with then even art was a lot of the art was generated then, but then when the company went under, like, just you know my motivation to finish my comic book went with it so for sure that makes sense i mean what do you do right yeah so now we get into comics what i would love to know with your background and everything that you kind of shared and your experience with film producing ed saxon what of that can you take away that is helping you now on the comic book side as a writer like, are there some like similarities, like this really works in this um, format of uh, storytelling as well? Uh, that's a good question because it's, they're all different mediums. So yeah. there's, there's, there's changes to things. So for example, even the comic book that I have out, like in part, it's to, it's sort of meta to a novel that I'm going to be publishing hopefully next year that I, I just did a big rewrite on and finished up just over the last few months. Okay. And the idea is that story is set in the mid 1990s. It's about a newspaper delivery board in Western Pennsylvania, you know, right. What, you know, I was a newspaper delivery board in the nineties and 19 in, in Western Pennsylvania. So, and I, I loved comic books. So he loves comic books. Yeah. So this character in the story discovers the corpse of a little boy mm -hmm. uh, in the woods and something horrible happened to this little boy. So he has to then uncover the the horrible truth that did happen to that boy as the boy proceeds to haunt him through the story. So there's a bit of a supernatural element to it. Yeah. And it's dealing with really dark, heavy things. But the way I've always processed sort of that stuff is through, you know, the bright and colorful things you're surrounded with, the action figures, the stuff that's behind me, you know, the, the posters and things and the action figures that are over there, all that stuff that's helped me, you know, the, these, these allegorical stories, or even sometimes stories that are, you know, like I remembered very vividly, you know, reading like uh, as a kid, like Watchmen and things that really, it's a superhero story, but it deals with like the yeah. worst realities of being a person head on too. And as a kid that felt like I would get in trouble for reading it. I was yeah, like, I shouldn't sure. have this comic. It was <laughs> yeah. so, you know, there was, I mean, the dark side there was, it. yeah, it was so, it was so heavy and real. Yeah. And uh, that was, you know, very like revolutionary in Josiah kid brain. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and so all of that to say the, that story deals with that dark stuff in a heavy way. And that originally started as a screenplay project at mm -hmm. USC. Okay. And so I wrote my way through the whole story. So the story more or less stayed the same from beginning to end. But as I wrote the screenplay, I realized, oh, there's this things that, parts of the story that I, I, you can't tell in that medium as well. 
Yeah. And honestly, there's things that would maybe work better in that medium because there's visual moments and things. Right. Whereas in um, the the prose novel, you can dig into things, you can jump into characters' heads, you can get insights, you can have more about like the meaning of things. So yeah. what what as say the comic book that you know I have uh, on Kickstarter right now, Young Zombie that is part of the the fiction of that world so in that world they love spider-man they love night of the living dead they love you know spawn but they also love young zombie they also love different characters such as the grim and the golem that only exist within that world because when i wrote through that first screenplay i wrote all these references to very specific real characters right, right. and i thought well if this ever got made uh, as a screenplay i don't know that you know this is before disney owned it and i don't know if they'd be okay with this now disney owns marvel yeah. disney's not going to be okay with like my reference to you know havoc being the little brother i think i still have a havoc reference in there there's still like some references to real pop culture but they're not like the integral to the story ones so i i was able to create this fictional universe um yeah. to help process the some of the heaviness of that story yeah. and so among that was young zombie and that was one of the things that they reference in that world that because there's a point where in the story he being that he's haunted by the little boy who he calls the corpse boy because he kind of gives him a superhero name yeah. he asks him he's like well are you a ghost are you a zombie are you a vampire what are you and then he references like different versions of those creatures to, to sort of try to process it in his own kid brain at that in the story and so i made those things to reflect that but the real point isn't explaining that story but just to understand that writing in these different mediums is really you know teaches you like what works here yeah. might not work there mm -hmm. and in a comic book a comic book i would almost say it's more akin to a screenplay yeah where you're writing for the moment visually mm -hmm. like one of the things that i was kind of taught in in uh in in grad school about writing a screenplay was you never want to be explicit in your camera direction because, you know, unless you're directing the script yourself, you're going to have a director who has their own vision, their own mind, especially if you're not like if you're writing a, a script on spec and you're going to then, you know, try to sell it and they're going to direct it mm. off there. If you're working with a director, you know, that's mm -hmm. a collaboration. It's a different process. Right. But if, if you're writing on spec, you want to you can't write camera angle does this or that. Mm. You, you don't you don't want to do that because they won't want to see that. They're going to say, no, I'm going to determine what the camera does. Yeah. So one of my writing teachers would say, you try to write it in such a way that you're directing their eye without letting them know you're directing their eye. Yeah. You're still creating those visual moments in that way. And I think that's really helped me understand writing comic books and honestly reading comics through all those years helped me understand those moments, you know, like thinking of Jack Kirby stuff yeah. and, 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 and comics like that. And, you know, like, uh, you know, Jim Lee in the nineties, these, great moments that, that you know things happen and then boom this this powerful visual that then holds you and grabs you you know it's kind of a similar thing in film and creating yeah. that and i think that that really learning that process through writing informed it and with ed i learned a lot just of understanding you know how character motivates story and mm. we would talk about that a lot and i think even when i talk about that scene from philadelphia you know you could strip away all the you know, the fact that it's about a, a gay man with AIDS, which was a big topic at the, at the time. And just like two people who see things differently and yet work together because a wrong was done. Yeah. And when you sort of funnel it down to that, it's just about these characters and understanding, oh, okay. It's just the, it's just the, who they are as characters and wow. individuals that motivates the story. And then you can start to think about those visual things. You can have like, you know, the dramatic moment where, Tom Hanks is doing the opera selling the story where, you know, you have like him in stoic Denzel Washington, just trying to process it. And he like goes home and just holds his wife after that. And he's still in his suit, like, a, you know, a very powerful moment, but just, you know, sort of like still distilling it to the reason that matters is you care about those characters. Mm -hmm. And so then creating these visual moments around those characters is really what comic book writing I think is. And, yeah. and, and in my comic, uh, it's funny, like I, I was talking to Bill Mouse about this, who uh, did one of my alternate covers, who drew Zen in the 90s. Mm. And I was I was saying, well, do you prefer if someone gives you a directive script that says, draw this, draw this, draw this, or do you want its freedom? He's like, either way, he's like a, just a chill guy. So he's <laughs> like, you know, I've done so much over the years. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, I guess it depends on who you're working with. But like, for example, I when I wrote the script for Young Zombie, 
uh-huh. I had a somewhat directive eye of like, these are the things I wanted to see. And I, and I put it down panel by panel, but then as the artist did it, who uh, Kai, my artist is a storyboard artist and Kai found shots and images that like, sometimes I would point to them, but the the ones that Kai came up with were even better yeah. than I thought. Like I had, I said, you know, the room is full of star Wars collectibles and yeah. the characters lying on the bed or something like that. And right. in the image in the comic, it's from above down. So you can kind of see the, some of the collectibles like hanging around the character and i was like oh that's better than what i would have come up with so it's you know sometimes that collaboration with a you know i'm a visual person but uh i'm visual through words whereas they're visual through drawing so yeah that's awesome yeah and then you know i think that collaboration between the artist and the writer is so crucial in this genre because right the the art needs to tell a large portion of the story as well because you're limited by panels and then you're limited by word count right not an actual word count but i mean obviously you can't have a a novel written through a comic right so you you need to really lean on your artist um was that something that was easy given your background or a little bit more difficult i think that part was pretty easy i I would say just because you know and especially this is the first this was the first comic i created in this regard i i i created a few for my other company that were like right. they were um comics that i did for like the the live event so we had one that we did that we uh, had for pittsburgh okay. and like it was you know uh like a zon- it was like a sort of a tales from the crypt type comic where it was like had a character called the projectionist who hosted the comic and then told stories in the in a movie theater but the cool thing was it was actually set in the oaks movie theater oh, so cool. it was set in the theater that then you would be getting the comic yeah. and and then it told like a couple zombie stories. And so within that, like uh, that was sort of like the, 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 the a one-off, but um, with the various projects I worked with, especially like producing the web stuff and producing in general, like I've, you know, mostly done smaller projects and things yeah. and over the years and, and never obviously any of the big movies that I would absolutely love to work on, but working on the smaller stuff, even that, even just a web project, it's a collaborative thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm working with different people in different capacities. I'm I'm working on doing, you know, the voiceover with in English and then working on with the French uh, voiceover crew. Mm-hmm. And then you're, so that's like just that alone, juggling those things. Yeah, and just yeah. any of that as a collaboration, you're working with people managing assets and different kinds. So I think that was always easy for me. And, right. I, and I find that uh, energizing, frankly, especially as a writer, uh, it's very, it can be very isolating. You know, yeah. I, when I wrote, when I finished the draft of that novel, like I wrote, I, I just to, to, I just posted on Facebook. Today is the one year anniversary of me finally finishing. It's called the Paper Boy, the novel. Finally yeah. finishing the first like full draft of that, and I completely rewrote it since then. And so because the first draft was very graphic and adult, like okay. it described in detail all the things, and I wanted it to be a young adult uh, approachable level. So yeah. I uh, I would say I I, I want to say it's funny because I didn't like censor things. I would say, and I I left it open, more open to the imagination rather than like sort of the Stephen King approach where like, this is the graphic grisly thing that happened and he's a brilliant writer, but like, it's very different what I went for. And, um, I think it works better for that. Um, but that all that was very much in isolation and just like, you know, I'm sitting here at my computer, but not looking at another person talking about it. I'm just writing through it or writing it on paper or, you know, just like, it's, it's just, it's here and it's in here. So it's nice that to working in a medium like comics where, you know, since I can't draw well at all to maintain it for more than, you know, maybe like a, like a layout type of thing. Um, it's good to have someone else that can, you know, help. And, and sometimes like, even when you're working in a, one of the things I loved about grad school that I still miss is you have that collaborative yeah. uh, effort of the group that you're working with. It's like a workshop every week. So you bring your pages and you talk through them and you work through them and you give, give ideas and you take ideas and you might not take them. You might like take them, but you're, you're just in that environment. So it gets you out of yourself. Then the further you get removed from those things, the more you're just in your head right. and it's, it's just, you get, <laughs> can kind of get stuck there sometimes. Sure, so yeah. it's good to have like that collaboration to, force you to not be just you, you know, even though you're still like as the writer and the person, you know, sort of, you know, paying the artist in this instance, like I'm still the, the director on this, but sure. they have leeway to, you know, make a change if they feel so like, I'll say a small thing, like Bill Mouse did the cover and it, I loved it. It was brilliant. It was perfect. Except for one change he had um the, in the image, it's like the characters, the zombies coming through the door and they're like trying to block the door. And the one of the one character, the, the tall guy who's Gary, he's holding in Bill's original art. He was holding like a 
like a chicken bone or something. And I said, well, that just needs to be a B wing fighter and you're good. <laughs> and that was the only change. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I didn't have, I was like, I have one change and this is what it is. So it's like those kind of things where his image was perfect. And yeah. it's like, well, I have one thing that connects it to the meaning of the story. For and sure. so that's where my little bit would come in. So things yeah. like that, where, you know, you like, I wouldn't have like, I couldn't have told him what to draw that would be better than what he drew. But once he drew it, I can say, okay, this is the one tweak you need to make it perfect for, you know, this comic. So that's awesome, man. I mean, that leads us to young zombie. Um, thank you for sending over a copy of it. A really fun read um, because I also grew up in the eighties, seventies um, and eighties. Um, but uh, I could relate to every figure or toy that was in <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is awesome, man. So relatable, but uh, a really fun comic. So congratulations on that. Um, you know, going through that experience, do you feel your vision came through um, and you're pretty satisfied where um, Young Zombie is? Absolutely. Like, I would say this, that it was this this issue is sort of the origin of the Young Zombie nice. as you read it. And I definitely there's there's more I want to tell. And that's the reason why, like this was, a you know, like I said, this was a concept that was several years ago with yeah. my old company. And there's other projects that were associated with that, that, you know, I don't, you know, maybe someday kind of thing they'll get revived. But this is the one revived is a very zombie esque kind of thing. <laughs> um, this is the one that really mattered to me because yeah. I, I, I guess I just I care about it more. And I think that there's more story potential and there's other characters I want to introduce. There's there's a girl named Gwen who is the sweet little girl who turns into this monstrous werewolf. <laughs> there is a uh and she has a little cat, by the way. So it's kind of the joke that like you have the one, you know, the, the werewolf who has a pet cat and then kind of like the zombie <laughs> and his dog is the is the is the other the zo- yeah, yeah. Gary and his dog, Ernie. Yeah. And so and then Frank, uh, you know, his outcome in the story. Yep. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll spoil it. Frank might end up dead or maybe we don't know, <laughs> but highly likely. And if he does, does end up dead, he might end up a ghost in future issues. Yeah, sort of uh, very inspired by that character was very much meant to be inspired by the friend in American werewolf in Paris who okay. he, the first person he mauls and kills. And then like, <laughs> just like comes back as this rotting ghost corpse and just is like egging him on the whole rest of the movie, which is just like it. one of the best characters. I love that. So yeah. Was, so that's like who that's who he's meant to become. So that might be yeah. a spoiler for what happens to him. But, yeah. um, and so uh, then there's also, I have an Akita, my dog Akira, and he's a big stoic, uh, strong personality and I have the idea for a monster hunter who is an Akita. So I have all these characters that just, you know, I couldn't squeeze into the first issue, yeah, but there's, yeah. there's there's definitely more stories to be told. Um, at one point, we actually, we, I should say, uh, I um, actually pitched it to um, a cartoon production company. And I had a, like a few different ideas that I pitched and it was the one that they most liked. And at the time... Um, they didn't kind of this was before streaming like Netflix was like streaming but it wasn't like it is now you know like it was the content wasn't like the explosion of content it was so it was yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, they were interested they, and of, of the stuff that I pitched this was kind of the one that any that they kind of drew to but it was the question of well what do you do with the zombie killings because part of my thing is this is meant to be something that would be accessible by someone who's young and it wouldn't offend them except there is bloody zombie killings you know it's bright red gory cartoon blood but that was kind of like one of the things i wanted in it where it would be you know it's like family friendly with a caveat kind of thing so i feel like today with some of the cartoons i've seen this is like not even close to what's already out there. So I, I feel like if you were to redo that, you would be in much better shape when it comes to that question. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I think you're probably yeah. right. And and it was because it was one of the things where um, they gave me an example how they're like, oh, we had someone else pitch zombies. And this is a car. I've never the cartoon. I don't think ever happened. He's like, but we turned them into frogs. <laughs> Like, okay, so uh, like, what? And so who is he sure eating? Apples to apples there. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's like, because he, he's like, well, we could kill the do the killing off screen. I'm like, that's a possibility because I'm like just trying to like, okay, let's make this happen. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was, it was, uh, I wouldn't say it like almost happened, but it was the one where there was like, you know, yeah. some uh, like real connection with that story. And this is my like stereotypical bad Hollywood story where the meeting's going great. I, I have like we went through like some of the quote bad ideas or the ideas at least didn't connect with, with uh, this executive guy. I don't remember his name. I would say it. I'm not like withholding. I just can't remember. Um, And so he, then all of a sudden his phone rings and I'm like, and he takes the call and it's like about the dry cleaning. 
And then ah. like, and he's like, he gets back and he's like, oh, where were you? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was just like done because like like I'm not great in those situations. Like it's super nervous. I've always been yeah, like like I'm really bad at pitching. Like I I one thing I learned, I went I went and saw uh JJ Abrams talked at the producer. I went to the um uh, producers guild has like a conference every year and, and I've gone every now and again. Like I saw Kevin Feige talk, which was really cool. I saw um JJ Abrams talk once, and one thing I learned of why JJ Abrams is successful is set aside his talents as a filmmaker is he's really good as a pitch person. And he even admitted as such, he said, I'm really good at that. He said, when I was a kid, his dad was, was in the industry and he would make TV movies, but he would have, he would be playing in the room next door with his toys and he would hear his dad. Like it'd be me in my office. And my, if my kid was out listening to me, she'd like, I'm going to, when I'm grown up, I can do an interview on comic books, but she, uh, she, but JJ would listen to his dad pitch tv stuff just all day long he would be on the phone you know making these pitches to people and he would just listen to what he did and what he worked and just he just just soaked all that in so that you know he's great in the pitch that's why when you see him in interviews he's just great and dynamic you know you could think oh man the dude ruined star wars or not i don't care it's a a different debate (laughs) topic but he's he's just like when you listen to him talk you're like yeah jj abrams make every movie go ahead like he's that guy and and it's funny hearing him tell that story at the producers guild conference i think it's called produced by the conference and he was just sharing that how like yeah listening to his dad like taught him how to do the pitch and i thought well my dad taught me how to hang drywall i'm not even good at that (laughs) that's awesome man well it sounds like a young zombie will be an ongoing uh, title then right the the hopefully yeah at least i have like i have mapped out through like the you know first like six issue ish arc like i have uh you know like that it's kind of funny there was a version of it that would be the original cartoon pitch where i laid out what would be the episodes that would then hopefully become the rest of the series so the continuing adventures of the young zombie and his other various monster friends that's so cool and is the idea that hopefully you get to like four or five issues you create a trade and then that becomes your your screen um that you your your writing that you take to like a film production or an animation company and then yeah that would be great and i'll say this like i i I'd never conceived it as anything other than a comic you know like it was pitched as a cartoon but it was conceived first as a comic and then oh okay let's uh Let's see if we can make it something else. Like it was not one of those things where it was, it was, it was conceived as the pitch, you know, and I I have no problem that people that do that. I understand. I've I've been in the industry. I understand like one of the, because one of the discussions that happened in that pitch meeting before that call came up was, you know, these, these are, if these aren't properties yet, but if there are properties, he would be more interested in them. They don't need to be big popular properties, but if they're properties and that, you know, that's the, I think more the case now than it was, you know, six, seven years ago, whenever that, that, my daughter is six and that was before she was born. So it was at least seven years ago, probably eight. I just, whenever that was, you know, still, you know, had my old company was pitching these things, but uh, I'll just say it wasn't intended to be that, but it absolutely would be. That's the, that's the, the, the goal to collect it into the trade. And then like, here's, you can have the, you know, just me as a fan, like I don't need individual comics that much yeah. um, you know just the older you get it gets harder to do that right so it's like becomes like oh okay it's it's now collected into a graphic novel i'll get that and it can go on my bookshelf and sure. i can you know read that in three years when i have time that kind of yeah. thing so <laughs> yeah. but that would be sort of the end game it, yes i guess <laughs> that's awesome man well then um if i'm not uh, misunderstood it is a kickstarter coming up for young zombie or did you already start your kickstarter kickstarter is live right now how many days left on it so how it ends december 30th oh, okay so, so we still got quite a bit of time man. yeah we have some time like what's today yeah so yeah there's still time we launched uh again i say we i guess we means myself my wife my my daughters it's and one of the variant covers is a cover by my daughter so no she's way, gonna do sketch awesome. covers and then then so i realized i was she's six as i said so she's gonna do a sketch cover she loves to draw and yeah. she drew me a zombie just on her own before this project ever was like being <laughs> revived yeah. and then I had people asking like, well, is it, oh, she's doing a sketch. She's doing a sketch cover variant, right? So she's doing like actual drawing on the sketch covers. And then someone's like, why don't you just, you know, have her have a printed cover? I'm like, oh, 
why did I not think of that sooner? <laughs> so cool, like yeah. there's, there's, there's her sketch cover version, which I'm probably going to cap because I put it at 10, but 10 is like way too many for my poor little six-year-old to draw. She loves <laughs> to draw, but she, I think so far four people have backed that. So I'll probably cap yeah. it. Like once I sell like one more yeah. and then, um, and then watch, she'll draw like, you know, two dozen of them just cause she wants to knowing yeah. her. And then, uh, what I'll, um, I also added a reward just yesterday where it is her zombie cover. Nice. And so you can see there's like one that clearly looks like it was drawn by a child. So you can get uh, Bill Mouse cover, Penelope Golu, my daughter cover, uh, Rick Street cover. His is more uh, like a sort of a muted pastel style. Rick is an artist I met uh, when I was doing the other company at that art gallery in downtown LA. And yeah. he has like really, really talented guy. And he's dream has always been to get his art published in a comic and it just hasn't worked out. And he did this for me a few years back. And again, it just didn't happen at the time. So I'm glad that I can make it happen for him. And there's a couple sketches that Rick did that I found when this project was first conceived that we were promoting it at a comic con and it never went anywhere. But I was like, I didn't even know I still had these things. So I'm like, <laughs> I put those as Kickstarter rewards. It even has the old title, which is I was a teenage zombie. Oh, yeah. We changed it because there is a movie named I was a teenage zombie. <laughs> I've still not seen it, yeah. but I didn't want to, you know, have the sure, yeah, same yeah. name. And I think young zombies a little bit punchier, easier to remember, oh, sure, less yeah. le like awesome. better, like, you know, better for the uh, like just sticks in the brain a little bit more and a little bit more unique because the other one. uh uh, I was talking to Steve's turn who, you know, co-created Zen, as you know, and he yeah. was like, yeah, that old title is not as good. That's more derivative. Young zombie. That's original. So I'm like, oh, thank you, Steve. And so um, there's the, the the Rick Street cover that I'm glad that I can get in print. And then there is the red uh, Tales from the Crypt homage cover yeah. that my good friend Brian Langer uh, designed. So the it features Kai's art from the mm -hmm. interior of the comic. But then Brian sort of assembled it in a way that's very referential to you know, the old school Tales from the Crypt comics. Cool. And Brian is a production designer. He's worked on Last Man on Earth. He worked most recently as a set designer on uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie and um, the upcoming Madam Web movie. And he was excited to tell me because he's like, hey, I'm finally working on stuff you watch. So <laughs> like I watch all movies, but he was making a joke because like I, I actually know he's like, I don't even know who Madam Web was. I'm like, not many people do. Oh, no, <laughs> and so, true, but it yeah. was cool that he got to work on uh if you've seen the preview, he worked on the diner set. So he only worked on, I think maybe, I think he worked on a couple sets in that movie, but the diner set is, is uh, one that he worked on that is very featured in the trailer. Yeah. And sure. so uh, it, it was uh, cool to see it. But anyway, Brian being that the strikes were, I guess it just was ratified that they're going to end thanks to the SAG uh, yeah. ratifying their agreement that he was free to, you know, do the assembly for me and do the design. So he was, you know, he did the the title logo and all that stuff. He did he did all that for me just because he was uh, you know available to, due to yeah. the strike. So the, uh, his, that's the uh, other cover that's available, designed by my good friend Brian. So that's so cool, man. Lots to choose from. A lot of time still to jump in. We'll make sure that we put everything in the description. That way, it's easy for everyone to uh, click and get over to Kickstarter and back your project. Uh, that sounds awesome, man. Young Zombie. It was a lot of fun to read. I enjoyed it every minute of it. Um, so yeah, congratulations, uh, Josiah. That's a, a it's a really good comic, man. I really thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And then um, lastly, just quickly, man, I, I don't know if you want to talk to it, but you know, obviously you and I both know Steve, um, and he is the creator of Zen. Um, man, I, I heard you're gonna be maybe uh working with Steve a little bit more in the future. Yeah, so I'm going to be working on uh, a prose story for Zen. So it's it's kind of cool. So it's kind of be Steve. Steve's done a few of these throughout the years of his own, and mm -hmm. I think a few other people have written them as well. But sure. it's basically kind of like a you know you we would know this. It, they these were popular in the like late '80s, early '90s. The the classics illustrated, oh, but yeah. like not the comic book version from like the '50s. Like our version where it was the book plus yeah. you know every few pages it was like an illustration of what was happening. And I, I love those at the time because I was. I was a reader who also loved comic books. So those yeah. were great because it's like, oh, let's make this thing visual. So it's yeah. it's more appealing to, you know, the Josiahs of the world. And so it'll be a Zen story in that realm. I kind of want to go for like my sort of all out, what would I do with yeah. a Zen story? And yeah. I'm going to have it be, I guess the tease is, I, I don't know if this will be the official title, but um, it'll be 
like at least the subtitle, it'll be Zen multiversal ninja. And so the idea is it's going to be Zen dealing with different versions of himself. And so so sort of the multiversal stuff is really big right now. So that's kind of, and and I just, yeah. And I think that (laughs) the way, the ways kind of Zen has been encountered throughout the years for me, it's always been like, Oh, there's the Archie Zen. There's the Bill Mouse Zen. There's the Dan Cody Zen. There's this, you know, so it's like these, to me, it's always been like different versions of the same character that I love. It's like, what if they kind of hang out together in a way? So that's the story I'll be uh, hopefully next year, just depending on when I focus on it, when we get time to sit down and write it, but I'm really excited. It was cool to get to, you know, uh, be offered to collaborate with Steve. And um, I'm also, so I have a YouTube channel, uh, Josiah is right, W-R-I-T-E. And I'm working on, so Steve came down to my house and did an interview and I interviewed Steve about the history of Zen. So I'm also working on like a Zen history with him. I interviewed Bill Mouse as well. That's how I got connected to Bill Mouse. It was kind of funny. I interviewed for him and I just like enjoyed talking to him. And then I'm like, hey, Bill, how about yeah. you do a comic book cover for me? <laughs> so yeah, it was like, works, man. I've met some amazing people doing a podcast. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, you know, I, I, this, this, this timing works out. You're available. <laughs> right. So, uh, uh, and, and actually I pitched him on a, a different project, which is also related to the book. But that would be another comic book project that was sort of within the world of the story. But it's like, okay, that's that's needs a lot more work on my end where it's like, okay, I'll, you know, this one is like you can do a cover and then we can sort of hopefully, you know, that can be down the line somewhere. But uh, with that, I'm working on what I want to be a very comprehensive history of Zen. So I interviewed Steve in my garage for like over an hour uh, last May. And then I've over the few months I've interviewed a handful of other people. Um, I have uh, interviewed Bill Mouse. I've interviewed Don Chin, who Don was Zen's publisher in the 90s. I have interviewed Dan Cody as well, who, um, and those interviews are up on my channel, but I'll use excerpts of them for the longer form interview. I'm sorry, for the longer form documentary that I'm going to be coming out with. Hopefully the goal was to have that done. Yeah. But my day job is a teacher and yeah, a dad. Yeah. So like, those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 editing for YouTube was slowed down. Um, yeah. And I'm also, I need to get like, there's one more key element. I want to have like the voice of the collector. And oh. so I, I know a guy named Tim Chismar who's going to be that because he's a big Zen collector. So he'll help, he'll film some stuff with his collection because I have a Zen collection, but it's uh, relatively small. Like I have a decent yeah. amount of the comic books, but I only have like my one Zen action figure. So yeah. But oh, the yeah, video so, game's the one that you need to have. Man. Oh, I know. I wish, right? Three or four grand, I think, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome, Josiah, man. Um, I don't know. Is there anything that we're missing that you wanted to share that we didn't cover? I think we covered it. I really appreciate it. It was, you know, fun to get to share what I, all these, again, cause just, just that point of view, like I'm, I'm a dad to a six and a four year old. So a lot of my time is like on that level. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, sure, your, yeah. your kids are older now, but you've been there. You, oh, you can relate sure. when you're, when they're that age, you're just like in that world of like, well, what Barbie outfit I have girls. So I'm like, what Barbie outfit am I putting on this Barbie? Exactly. Even when I, my daughter who Penny, who's doing the, the cover, she said, can it be what she said? Can it be a unicorn zombie? Like if you want it to be, <laughs> sure, that sounds yeah. like a great idea. Um, so uh like that's the world i'm in plus you know when you're writing creating it's 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 just you know in this box of you know i'm like pointing at my computer here because i'm on my laptop and it's this world that you're just in without this obvious interaction so it's nice to share these things like okay this is all the stuff that i've been doing it's a lot of stuff like even you know the stuff stuff. that you know like (laughs) just just working on the zen stuff like i've recorded um i I mentioned the highlands mall was where um, my comic book store was, and that was where, uh, there was a, a value city department store next to it, which is where I got my first copy of Zen actually at the department store. Oh, wow. And so I drove up there to, I knew it was gone, but I, I was like, I went up there with my daughter and I had her like in the Walmart recreate me finding the Zen comic. I'm like, well, this will be fun. Like a fun thing where it's like not exactly accurate, but well, this yeah, is the yeah. best we can do with circumstances. <laughs> so I had my daughter like walking down the, my two daughters walking down the toy aisle and grabbing the Zen comic, yeah. which is what happened to me in the same spot. But instead of a Walmart, it was a value <laughs> city, which is like a, I don't know if you know, value city was like a sort of like a big lots type of department store, yeah, like kind of close out type of place. Yeah. I think it was just regional out there. Yeah. And then, um, the comic book store, which was also right there. I, you know, I wanted to sort of have those elements in the, in the little documentary. And I filmed some stuff of myself in the woods by my parents, because I grew up literally in the woods. 
And that was a significant part of my story as a Zen fan, because I was afraid, no joke. I was afraid of being abducted by aliens as a child. (laughs) I lived in the woods. You'd see lights flashing. It's like, oh, that's just like an airplane. Like, but like, you know, at that time, like fire in the sky was the movie that was out. And like like, all the, you know, like just, yeah, like it was, it was, and I grew up in the woods, man. (laughs) So like, it was, it was a scary thing. So all of that informed like my relationship to Zen and that stuff, that'll stuff, that'll stuff that'll probably impact the, my Zen story as well, but it's definitely going to be part of that Zen documentary, which is something I just put a lot of work in already. And hopefully it can be, you know, cause I do YouTube stuff where it's just like stuff with my kids or pop culture examinations. And it was really cool to do something that's more like a documentary where I was able to interview people, you know, and things things like that and actually have Steve come to the house and like, you know, interview him with a two camera setup, which was, you know, the first time I've done that on my own, like as, as a, as a, a long time ago, I would work on stuff where I was, you know, a PA setting this stuff up, but I would, uh, I joke with Steve. I said, yeah, I probably, uh, I'm the least qualified person to be, you know, just <laughs> miking you up, but we'll see if it sounds okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. It has. And I'm like, just, I'm looking forward to uh, the Zen related content I have coming out too. Cause it's kind of one of the things that, like I said, it's inadvertently been on the back burner. Uh, and Steve, I had a space at LA Comic-Con to promote uh, the Kickstarter. So we launched it uh, at LA Comic-Con, which was December 1st. And I was there with my booth over the weekend and um, from the first through the third, you know, or I'm sorry, the second and the third, Steve was there for signings both of those days. It was a lot of fun. We actually met uh, someone from Space Force who, as a kid, knew Zen, wasn't a huge Zen fan, but knew yeah. Zen, the character. And uh, I gave him one of, I had extra comic books that like I was giving out as promotional stuff. So it would have like a sticker on the front for like Young Zombie. Okay. And so I'd give that out is my, instead of just giving out like a, you know, a flyer, it's like, here, I have an actual like comic book you know, like random comics. And I had a couple Zen comics and I gave him one and Steve signed it for him. And it was cool. He was like really touched this guy who was, you know, in, in, he's in space force. Yeah, so of course yeah. I had to ask, I'm like, well, have you ever seen an intergalactic ninja? <laughs> and he's like, look, he's joking. He's like, well, I'm just in communications, but, <laughs> but it was just a <laughs> cool moment. And, and, you know, I always think, <laughs> yeah. And, and kid me just thinks how cool it was to get to like, be with the creator of Zen all these years yeah, later, sure. you know, seeing a He's fan a of that guy, character, man. get to connect with the character, get yeah. with, with the creator, yeah. you know, that he wouldn't expect to have got to meet at my little booth for a zombie comic book. So yeah. it's just a, a cool, uh, like, you know, completing that circle where it's like, I found Zen in, in value city. And now all these years later, I'm getting to like, you know, meet Steve and hang out with Steve and, yeah. uh, get, he gave me a copy of Zen number one, like from oh, 1987, like wow. as a thank you, which blew my mind. I was like, that alone made me having that booth worth it. Like yeah, that was a dream sure. comic of mine. So, uh, the, yeah, I love that guy, man. He's no, awful. such a good guy, such a good such guy. A good so, guy. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Josiah, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this time. You're always welcome to come back, man. I would love to have you on again. Um, you know, either for issue two of young zombie or this Zen project that you're working on. If you get that finished, uh, I'd love to have you back on. It'd be fun to talk about that. Um, but man, anybody that's listening to this, get over to Kickstarter right now, young zombie. I'll have the link below. So it'll make it super easy. We still got about 20 odd days left. So there's plenty of time to get in there and choose the cover that you want and back young zombie. But it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, for a long time because there's going to be more than one issue. It sounds like, so that's yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And we, you know, we reached our first funding goal, which is great. I'm super happy about that. And then hopefully we can start to get to the stretch goals, which would uh, extend some of the content in the back. Like I have, you know, want to add pages for like some of the backstory and different sure, things. Yeah. So that would be Maybe awesome to see. Maybe for like issue two, right? Before you get into it. I think that's awesome if you could do that as well. Yeah, right? that's like the, that's on the, you know, the the further end stretch goals too. So yeah, sure. I would love to get issue two. Like I, I've been, yeah, I've been like, I've been itching to get uh, those characters into, uh, yeah. into uh, print. So yeah. For sure. I mean, after talking about him, I can't wait to see <laughs> like. <laughs> All right, Mr. Josiah, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have an amazing week and weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Take it easy.